when Giver goes on the race, there is no exaggerating. There's only giving it the 110% in body, mind, and soul. Welcome to the ninth episode recap of the Amazing Race Canada 5 for RTV Warriors. I am Logan Saunders, and joining me as ever is the guy whose BMO wish was for this season to finally be over, Michael Harmstone. Annoyingly, you're completely right. When you asked that question on Facebook overnight, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Was please, please, can this season just be over? Can we just award the win to whichever one of Sam and Paul and Kevin and Ryan is going to win and then just never, ever remember that this season existed? If Kevin and Ryan win, like, I remember after, at the end of the second week that we were talking about if Kevin and Ryan winning would be even worse than Gino and Jesse winning, and it's still, it's still a close heat. It's still a close heat, I don't know. Who would, be, who would top out or bottom out that ridiculous uh, list. Yeah, I'm not sure who I hate more of those two teams right now. I did just try and uh, explain why Amazing Race Canada 5 has been terrible to friend of the podcast, Bindles. But um, the fact that we're up to 59 givers in nine episodes is a large part of that. There is 12 this week? There was 12 this week. Yeah, they, Kevin and Ryan got way too much airtime this week, and it's unfortunate when you know that we're at least going to see them for a Final Four episode where they'll probably dominate the airtime again. And then if they make Final Three or, God forbid, they win, who knows how many more givers there'll be. And you know the even better thing? I think the press pitches have spoiled the Final Three. Really? Yep. Because when I was looking at them yesterday, because Logan kind of not really spoiled the episode for me, but I kind of knew what was going to happen as soon as I woke up on Wednesday, so didn't bother watching the episode till Thursday. I looked at the press pictures yesterday, and there's only actually three teams who appear in any of the 14 photos. <laughs> and I've double-checked this. There is one team who do not appear in a single press picture next week. That's interesting. So uh, make of that what you will. I'm not sure whether to say which team it is, but, you know, one team doesn't even appear in any of the pitches. Here's the thing, though. Even without Adam and Andrea going, this, I mean, I mean, last week, I know that the bar is low, and last week got the title for best episode of the season, which even Gordon Wayne said it did, too. But then this week, Gordon Wayne said it's not at the absolute bottom for Amazing Race Canada history, but it's not far from it. 
I'm I'm leaning towards it might be maybe except for like uh, Atlantic Cam one the Atlantic Cam on the legs from one of the earlier seasons. It's got to be at the bottom or really close to it. This was bad. It was pretty bad, Terry. Yeah, because me, me and Wayne were talking about this a bit longer. Just every task was a miss this week. And I think Wayne was saying that because of how heavy the millennial casting was for this season, that it's led to easier tasks all year long, which I agree with. But we haven't had any spike in difficulty except for the Panama leg in terms of what they've been doing. Like the auctioneering task, everyone finished in two or less attempts. And that shoveling task part of the detour was really quick as soon as you figured out which button to press. And the speed bump, they said within the episode itself, was about five minutes, which even by speed bump standards is really quick. This was just a bad string of tasks. It was a really, really, really bad string of tasks. And I take back all the credit that I gave production last week for maybe turning the season around, because they didn't. Yeah, even without Adam and Andrea going, even if it was, even if it was Kevin and Ryan being eliminated... This on, on paper is just a bad leg. Like, we had a task at elementary school, which is something we've joked about over the past couple of years, but they actually did it. We had a task at an elementary school where they squeezed orange juice, and somehow it was a sponsored task. <laughs> like, seriously. How on earth does anyone think that squeezing oranges is challenging? I know that it was meant to be a sort of, oh, it's so inspirational, BMO task, but these kids aren't going to want a pitcher of orange juice, they're going to want money. They're going to want money for school supplies rather than, you know, friggin' orange juice. Money for candy. Yeah. Like, yes, the D- Douglas Park Elementary School was a route marker with kids in the hallways lining up for cheering on the teams as to where they need to go. And it just reminded me of, this is something you'd probably see in somebody's fan fiction for Amazing Race. Like, if there was an Amazing Race Junior edition, uh, if it was Monopoly Junior versus Monopoly, the, uh, this is what you would picture, where, where an elementary school would be a justified route marker. It used to be that we would laugh at universities being the location for route markers or detours for, for Amazing Race Canada. Now we've dropped down all the way to elementary schools. And the most annoying thing about this is people are defending this online. It's like, oh, it's been the best season ever. No, it hasn't. At all. It's been dreadful. This is retro, yeah. We're definitely, I think there's even the term being thrown around that this season has been worse than season 24. Mm, I'm not sure. There's been at least some bright spots of casting in this season. Yeah, like the cat. That's the only difference between this and twenty four. Well, twenty four didn't go to an elementary school, but on the other hand, we've had you know more than two likable teams. Unlike twenty season twenty four, it's definitely above season twenty four for me purely because we've had at least a few good legs, and we've not had most of the teams be dreadful. Most of the teams have been a bit flat. That's the difference. It's been boring rather than ostensibly bad. Here's the question. 
Does it get worse than 24 if Kevin and Ryan win? That's a, that'd be an awful conclusion to the to this. That would really leave a sour taste in your mouth, I think. It would, but also I've resigned myself to it happening. <laughs> I've, I kind of have as well. I just can't see the ups. Sam and Paul been too under-edited within the first few episodes of the season, and Karen and Bert's airtime has really dropped off the past few weeks, and Corey and Ivana aren't meant to be taken as seriously as contenders. No. So it, it's going to come down to Sam and Paul and Kevin and Ryan. And that's a storyline. That's a storyline that's been going on since episode two in the Fort McMurray leg of Sam and Paul versus Kevin and Ryan. And usually with rivalries like that on The Amazing Race, that's an initial storyline that plays out for three or four or five or six episodes. And then one of the two teams gets eliminated and we move into the next phase of storylines. But this has been going on since round two. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those two teams who wins, and I think given the wonky editing this season, I wouldn't put it past them to just hide their winners. It's, yeah, I don't know. I'm almost glad we podcasted about it this year, just so we could point out all the long-standing flaws for Amazing Race Canada, and it showing it becoming very, very, very apparent this year. Just hope, hoping we have some some ounce of influence that we get a product that goes into the exact opposite direction next year. But I don't think that we would. That's the thing. You have to remember the important fact that actually we did an entire podcast on how to improve it last season. And they changed nothing. At all. And the things that worked last year effectively went away this year for the most part. And we're getting this. We're getting a switch back next uh, next week. I know. <laughs> Five seasons in to the first face-off that they did just two seasons ago is being reused as a face-off next week. It wasn't even the first one. It was the second one. It was the final four one. Well, yeah, the second face-off, which means they only went what one, two. They only did three other face-offs uh, since then, and they're already reusing one. Yeah. I must admit, I had heard a rumour that they were seen at a, um, a curling gym, I suppose, when it was filming. And we should point out that we have lost the Quebecois teams back-to-back. Yeah. It, it's just like, Adam and Andrea were, were destined for Final Four elimination, so I could be really disappointed about it. They're not the Alain and Andre. They are the, uh, the Suki and Jinder of the season. Despite what Ben Powell seems to think, they are the best team of the season in terms of entertainment. Yeah, I could see a case that'll be made that maybe Karen and Bert have been more entertaining just because they're a bit more of a unique team. And we forgot to mention this when we re recorded this podcast, but even as of last week, Karen and Bert made it the furthest of any married team. And now they've definitely improved upon that standing by making it an additional round on top of that. Yeah, impressively, Bryce had the uh, the record beforehand. Yeah, because they made all the way to fifth. So let's get through this episode. Previously on the Mason Race Canada, five teams went to Panama. Karen had her Mother's Day meltdown. Corey and Ivana beat everybody to the punch, and Sam and Paul twirled their way to first for the third time. And then Karen and Bert were saved by the final non-elimination leg of the season. And then we're heading back to Regina, Saskatchewan. 
<laughs> Yay. And do you remember how we joked about certain locations being in Amazing Race Canada 5? Like, for example, the corner gas place. Yes, we said the corner gas place specifically as a joke location, and it, it got used this week. Hey, Amazing Race Canada producers. There were bits of that podcast that was us being sarcastic. Please fix your casting in your locations rather than taking exactly what we said for word for word. Context, producers, context. Yeah. We were joking about certain uninhabited towns being visited rather than, you know, you just taking the bits that you want to out of our podcast rather than the bits that we want you to. What makes it even funnier, though, is that it's CTV promoting itself on a CTV program because Corner Gas aired on CTV for nearly a decade. Maybe a bit longer if you include the movie they did a couple years ago, which I saw in theaters. But uh, Mark Carroll was telling me that a lot of the sets, and I even looked this up myself, but a lot of the sets from Corner Gas have all been torn down. There's just a Dog River Motel, really, and then I think there's some other rich guy in Saskatchewan who's putting together uh, some sort of corner gas museum, and that's it. Because like, the, the producers apparently were one year too late to go to the sets used for corner gas, which is why they were just stuck with a U-turn board at the Dog River Motel. And what surprises me even more is that they didn't get any characters from corner gas to uh, give out the clue. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is a Dog River Motel. Like, they could have done so much more with a place we already mocked as a location. They could have at least thrown in, uh, I don't know, famous Canadian comedian Brent Butt, who plays the main character in the show, or any of the other characters, except except for maybe the mother. The, the, mother, the mother passed away uh, a few months or in the past year, so that probably wasn't an option. Well, the... The best thing about this is it wasn't even at the Dog River Hotel. It was in a parking space. Yeah, they didn't even go right up to it. That's right. It was the least impressive U-turn location maybe ever. <laughs> um, other than, what was it, the Zimbabwe leg of season 27 where they had the U-turn at an orphanage? Oh, no, that was funny. <laughs> So yeah, Sam pulled the part first at 11.51 a.m. where they head to Regina, the land of the living skies, but also the place where Amazing Race Canada goes to die. You forgot the one of the best bits of the episode. was the fact that, you know how we mocked Monty's introduction for Panama last week? Panama City is so Cosmo! No, his one this week was even better, because he actually implied that the Republic of Panama was a city. His wording, it was something like he started talking about the Republic of Panama, and then said, it's such a cosmopolitan city. Yes, the whole country is just one megapolis. It, it just made me giggle. Then we see where, you know that this was going to be a bad leg, we're like, this is where they're going, and you see a shot of Monty all alone on the prairie road with nothing else on the screen. No cars, No, not even tumbleweeds. There's not even tumble, tumbleweeds in this area. It's just Monty, and that's it. At least Monty's still good. Yes. The one with the bright spots. One of the few ginger bright spots of the season. And then we get Kevin and Ryan departing second at 12.10pm, where all they talk about is revenge as soon as they see the double U-turn. Adam and Andrea depart at 12.29, where they talk about working well together. Corey and Ivana depart at 12.52, where they compare their race to a tsunami, which, given the current events in Texas, is almost an insensitive description. 
and that they insist they are good at the actual challenges, unless it, unless it's uh, soup stacking, then not so much. Then departing and last at 1.47 p.m., which means if you missed, if you went to the wrong Panama side to get to the pit stop, you lost a good chunk of time. Uh, Karen and Birch depart last, where they are excited to go to Regina. I've never heard anybody that excited to go to Saskatchewan in my life. Um, when we find out they received 460 US dollars to go to Saskatchewan. Say it correctly. $460. American! There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Jan Gentry from Survivor Thailand. It's tradition. And for some reason I wrote down Suck It Canola in my notes. Oh no, Suck It Canada. Not Canola. I'm like, I know they work with Canola, but that didn't make any sense in the context. But I Meant to write Canada, because it's U.S. dollars. Karen and Bert get their park on. Uh, whatever that means. Um, let's see. Oh, when Karen and Bert show up at the airport, and Andrea has perhaps one of the most over-the-top expressions of any racer I've seen this year. Yeah, there's two potential banners, I think, this week. One is going to be Dre's shocked face when Karen and Bert walk through the door. And the other is potentially going to be the startled horse behind Monty at the detail. I think we go with the Andrea face. I think we do as well, assuming I can make it work. Because my preferred banner last week didn't work, so I need to have a um, backup plan just in case. And did you hear that Ivana expects everyone to be Dujan and Leilani? Because she says that she expects everyone to be ruthless. Ruthless Dujan. And uh, talking of Dujan and Leilani, they um, they also went out in fifth. Another team that we really liked. If only Dujan was willing to do the water skiing task. And much like, as Mark Doyle pointed out, it's yet another leg where teams are forced to fly through uh, Pearson Airport in Toronto in order to get to their location. It's either Toronto or Vancouver every time there's a flight. To be fair to them, it is a pretty good airport, but not that good. No, it's, I've been there a few times myself, and yeah, it's decent, but I wouldn't go there that often myself. It's not eight legs of flying through worth of impressive. And they'll probably be flying through it again next week, actually, because they're going to Sault Ste. Marie. Yay. We haven't had enough Ontario this season. Yeah, what was the other Ontario leg? We had Ottawa. That was Ottawa, and that was it, I think. Still two plain Ontario legs this year. And when teams get to Regina, they get to choose between a sedan or a hatchback in one of the biggest twists of the year. What would you have chosen, Michael, in this unintended detour, in this uh, Canada 150 challenge? Would you have chosen the sedan or the hatchback? I probably would have chosen a, hash, a hatchback. Did you say hatchback? Because that's what I think Kevin and Ryan would call it when they go out camping. By accident, yes, I did. All right. And apparently it's amazing and it's pretty. I believe Andrea referred to the sedan or the hatchback as pretty. Maybe that's what did them in with choosing the hatchback over the sedan. No word of a lie. When I was watching this episode yesterday, one of the guys who sits next to me at work said, those are really nice cars. I'm like, that's not the point. They're sponsored. Stop, stop complimenting Chevrolet. The racers are right. I'm going to go buy a Chevrolet vehicle right now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the power of advertising. 
Um, there has only ever been one bit of advertising on reality TV that has impacted me buying something or going up, uh, going somewhere for dinner, and that is Outback Steakhouse. Because Sandra eats it, eats there all the time. Because when I was in America, I went past Outback Steakhouse and went, "Oh, Sandra likes that. That might be nice." And knowing how much you like steak, I assume you were not disappointed. I was not. It's very nice. Anyways, so teams find a clue on the dashboard, and it's yet another BMO-sponsored task. Another one, as DJ Khaled would say. Am I wrong in saying that this will go down as being one of the worst sponsored tasks ever in Amazing Race history? I think it might be number one, because it is... It's so stupid. <laughs> it's ridiculously stupid. For those of you who don't get to see the commercials, because you're watching it from outside of Canada, throughout the season, there's been commercials and then posts on the Amazing Race Canada Facebook page that are paid sponsorship by BMO, where individual teams make a wish for the Bank of Montreal's 200th anniversary. Sam and Paul have, for, uh, for instance wish for uh, general access to education. Kevin and Ryan, I believe, asked for um, not just weed, a positive impact on climate change. Zed and Shabir, I forget what, I, I don't even, truth be told, I don't really give a damn about the wishes. Yeah, Zed and Shabir asked for it to be slightly cooler wherever they go. <laughs> Zed and Shabir asked for it to not be windy in Chicago when they visit. Because it's so hot. <laughs> so hot. So hot. <laughs> um, to be fair, these wishes are obviously scripted. Yes. It, it's very much like Miss America type answers you get for the wishes. I wish for world peace. That's pretty much pretty much what it is. Um so I did not expect it to be directly impacting a task within the season. And sure enough, we get a task, a wish from single mother of two, Leon Leanne Sepner. I, I hope I pronounced the last name right, because I put so much effort into making sure I did so. She wished for every, every kid in Canada to receive a healthy and nutritious breakfast. Because that's really important to her. And Ivana even said that was important to her as well as a substitute teacher. Which is probably the most invested I've ever seen a substitute teacher in a classroom. So that's that was her wish. And we uh, and of course, the nutritious breakfast ends up being a glass of orange juice. And that is it. That is all the kids are going to get from the Amazing Racers is freshly squeezed orange juice. Probably with some pulp. And if they don't like it, sorry, kids, but this is this is what Leanne Sepner asked for, so you better fucking like it. It wasn't just orange juice, it was pieces of fruit as well, which will not fill you up at all. Yeah, like these kids are just going to wither away. Buy them some cereal. Surely you can get a cereal sponsor. Yeah, get General Mills up in this bitch and, you know, pour them some Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And also, never trust anyone who likes pulp in their orange juice. It's horrible. Yeah. you got to have smooth orange juice. I had some before this podcast. you got to have smooth orange juice. Never ever trust anyone who likes pulp in their orange juice. I will say, I don't like pulp in my orange juice. But when I was staying with my cousins in southern Italy, everything was growing fresh right on the farm there. 
their olives, their wine, their oranges, everything, everything they make. And each morning, I got a fresh glass of orange juice, and I've got to say, even though it had pulp in it, best orange juice I've ever had. Not even close. Yeah, I forgot that your uh, your cousins make foot wine, don't they, in the style of the mole? Yes. I didn't find any hairs, though. And I didn't find owl owls uh, size 14 feet. Weirdly, I've been um, been discussing the mole with a few people over the past week, about how it's the best show ever and people need to start watching it. Yeah. I need to catch up on Dutch Mole and Belgian Mole. I know that'll shock you that I've been campaigning for people to watch the mole, but I have. Anyways, so uh, Kevin and Ryan talk about their hatchback being business in the front and party in the back. Shut up. Basically, they're just campaigning for mullets. Yes. In, in yes, they words, are. The stupidest haircut ever invented. Where are they got Bates and Anthony for season six? And Sam and Paul are first to show up to the elementary... to. Douglas Park Elementary School, where they are cheered on by numerous elementary school students in one of the lamest locations for any route marker in international history. Adam and Andrea get there in second, where they admit they like uh, orange juice and children. Corey and Yvonne are third, Kevin and Ryan in fourth, and of course... They talk about having children, which, as we discussed last week with their current sperm count, that's probably not going to be possible. Um, and it, it gets very very Billy Madison-esque with having Kevin and Ryan there amongst all of the children, and the children are more mature than Kevin and Ryan. And then Karen and Bert are in last place, and they squeeze the orange juice. Paul says he's great at juicing. That's more than I needed to know. Corey also said he loves juicing. And then Sam and Paul are first to be done and find out they have to drive to a town with 500 people. I'm not kidding. I looked this up. The town of Rulo. Rallo? Who the fuck cares? (laughs) Um, Corey is pumped after all that juicing, which really goes hand in hand, I guess. Um, I'm just waiting for this task to be over. (laughs) <laughs> you can tell I don't have too many notes on this episode, my god. I have one note on this entire task. Which is? Dre loves orange juice and kids. <laughs> Sorry already covered that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Kevin and Ryan want to be first all day while they're in second. They were talking about like, yeah, we just got to keep this first place position all day. It's like, guys, you're not in first right now. My god. And guys, it's going to be really, really satisfying when you're not in first at the end of the episode. Even though you use the U-turn against the team that won the whole leg. Which, uh, Masonry Australia 2, that happened if... Yes, it did. Yeah. And it also happened in Hammerots, apparently. In other words, two fantastic franchises. Yes. Corey and Ivana run into a triple dog walker to get directions to Rolo. And the directions end up being bad because they're there and last. He looks so stoned. Yeah. Well, you go down Highway 33 and then you go over to Highway 6. Um, you'll pass the drowning dogs of Dog River and you'll find Rollo. Rollo? We, we don't know how to pronounce it either. Okay. Back to this episode. Let's get through this shit. Um, let's see. Sam is stressed when driving to the detour. 
Karen and Bert were last, but they get on a rocky road and are second to the task after Sam and Paul. Uh, then we get our detour, horse or cart, and my god, this is a l- one of the lamest detours I've seen ever. I think the only reason that they said this is so that when teams got U-turned, they could say that they did the cart before the horse. That's it. In horse, teams had the thrilling task of pretending to be auctioneers, and once that same guy holding up paddle two ninety nine bid six six thousand dollars, you know it's the same guy. Then. Yes, he collected five horses in the process, or three horses, I guess. And once teams know how to auctioneer correctly, they'll receive their next clue. In cart, teams press a button and then shovel canola onto a conveyor belt until they reach 1,000 pounds, and then they receive their next clue. It is also the site of Karen and Bert's speed bump, where they, for the second time this season, Karen has to clean up manure and a stable, and then they have to lay down a fresh new patch, and then the speed bump is over in five minutes, as they say. No joke, that's all it takes. How dare you? You missed out the most important fact that apparently, for some reason, the cart is a 150 challenge. Yes. Canola, you know. Welcome to Canada, where we're literally proud of having some sort of seed. As long as it's not Kevin and Ryan's seed, I guess that's a plus. Um, let's see. Karen and Bert talk about scooping the poop. And that's got to be spick and span for Kip, the horse. Um, Monty shows off his auctioneering skills, as we all expected, in the, considering that's what he went to uh, school for after his uh, career was done in Skeletor. Uh, Isn't that what he was doing on the side when he was doing Skeletor stuff anyway? Oh, that's probably it, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Sam hits the gate... Kevin and Ryan choose the auctioneering task where we learn about Grandpa Ken, who bred horses. And the horses' names, brothers, are Smart and Curly, which neither description applies to Kevin and Ryan. Andrea Andrea loves a good uniform, and we see a dog on screen. The dog is one of the best things about this episode. Um, Sam and Paul are stuffed by a conveyor belt for a bit. Then Paul is looking at them, babe. And then, eventually, and then he asks for Adam and Andrea for an alliance. They can't figure it out either. Eventually, both teams figure it out. And during the commercial break, Leanne Sepney's breakfast dream turns into a reference. Apparently, in Saskatchewan, there is a breakfast club that promotes nutritional eating amongst uh, youth in Saskatchewan. And Le- Leanne is part of this breakfast club. And there's no Molly Ringwald. Uh, there's uh, there's no David Bowie playing. There's no John Hughes, nothing, or uh, Principal Vernon, which is kind of funny. Cause I'm from Vernon. You skipped over one of the best bits of the episode as well. In my continued love of the race play questions, they are actually proud of the fact that in the past five seasons, two of them have had speed bumps involving manure. What? There was a race play question that came up that was comparing and contrasting. It, it was basically, which of these manure-themed speed bumps did you prefer? Is it season two's moonshine in the shit one, or is it this one? Which one won? Uh, I think it was the 
uh, the Moonshine one, given that that was actually a reasonably difficult challenge. Yeah, Ryan and Rob had to make up a lot of time, if I recall correctly, from that one. And also, I seem to remember the, uh, that there was steam coming off it. Yes. And they really had to get their hands in there. And they d- didn't get gloves or shovels. While this cast, they, while the teams before they would start each leg would say that they needed to look good on TV, so they'd be really hesitant, I think, to just go in with their bare hands. Uh, Andrea touched various knobs uh, during this detour task with the conveyor belt. No laughs. <laughs> There's not a lot to laugh about this season. <laughs> and Karen starts shaking the straw bales when she and says she's feeling poopy after a few minutes of completing this task. Corey and Ivana's stomach ache is gone as Ivana says she loves a large horse. Take that as you will. Um, Ryan comes up with the sequel to Giver in the form of Bitter. Much like his bitter rivalry with Sam and Paul at the auction place. Um, and then, of course, the auctioneering coach topples this by saying that they got her. Apparently, nobody here in Canada is just going to use the English language properly anymore. We're all going to just start saying a boot uh, every single round now. Uh, let's see. And apparently, the horse is the perfect pleasure, according to Kevin's summary of the horse. The perfect pleasure. And I also love the fact that um, Kevin said that his granddad, who he never met, sold horses. It's like, cool story, bro. Yes. That has no relevance. All four of my grandparents, this is true, all four of my grandparents died back in the 80s before I was even born. And one of them worked on a railroad track. And it'd be like, if there was a task at the, I don't know, say the last railroad spike in BC, and I said, oh yeah. My grandpa worked on railroads. Nobody else is really going to care about that. And didn't a couple of your great-grandparents run from the Mafia? Yes. That'll be for when Amazing Race Canada uses Italy as their only international destination next year. I wouldn't be shocked. Alright, so the auctioneering thing, we get the whole Eric Reichenbach from Survivor Fans vs. Favorites shout-out with the form of the paddle being number 299. And everyone at the auctioneering house just looks really unenthusiastic. It's a really quiet crowd, which is a great metaphor for this episode. Mainly because, spoilers, they were probably all actors. Trying to be actors. They're trying to be actors outside of the fake Dog River Hotel. Given that the same guy bought all five horses, either he's loaded or they were hired. (laughs) Or loaded and hired. And even better, two of the teams actually sold the same horse. We've got the first case of Dolly on our hands. <laughs> um, so, Kevin and Ryan are done in first. They find out they got to go to Dog River Hotel. Let's just skip right to it. They U-turn Sam and Paul. No, um, they, d- they don't just U-turn Sam and Paul. They are incredibly obnoxious about U-turning Sam and Paul. Sam and Paul, this is revenge for what you guys did to us two rounds ago. So we're just going to give her on this U-turn board and make you auction off the horses just like my grandpa did before I was born back in the 60s, back in the 70s, when the Vietnam War was going on and it was raging. I haven't actually mentioned this over the past nine episodes, but your ride impression is pretty good. 
Yeah. <laughs> you manage to, to capture his completely over-exaggerating everything that he says. <laughs> what are you talking about, Michael? I, when Giver goes on the race, there is no exaggerating. There's only giving it the 110% in body, mind, and soul. You know what? I... I Really, what would be a strong lead-in for this podcast is if you put my uh, giver impression at the very start of the podcast so people will bother to listen to this shitty episode. I think anyone who's got through nine episodes of us talking about this shitty season will probably continue doing it anyway. But I finally have a good impression on my hands, and the world needs to know it. Good by my standards. Yeah, good by your standards is not actually that good. So, Sam and... I should just recap in the voice of Ryan the rest of this podcast. Maybe I'll, if they win the finale, I'll, I'll podcast it in their voice. Also, just going back to the Orange Juice task for some reason for a while. Um, Giver doesn't mean what you think it does. I know I've said this, but Giver doesn't mean what you said it does. They said it means like being good to people. It's like, no, no. It's an obnoxious phrase from an obscure Canadian movie that for some reason you've based your entire shitty little life on. <laughs> Michael says we lead a shitty life. I disagree. We've gone surfing in Southeast Asia and we got to run and race across the most beautiful country on this planet. There's so much beauty here. And Michael just doesn't see how lucky we are and how unlucky he is to be living in Rochdale. Yeah, technically, I've surfed in in Asia as well, given that, you know, I did it on a boat in the middle of the ocean in Asia. I'm on a boat. I'm on a motherfucking boat. So, um, Sam hates it when Kevin and Ryan yell as Kevin and Ryan drive away from them from the T-Tour. They have so much wheel spin. Which is a compliment for the Chevrolet vehicle. They just jumped into the car and booked it to get to that U-turn. Because it's terrible tactics to do this on the one team who will beat you in the episode. Did I mention that I got stuck with a flat tire and a friend's car a couple days ago? No, you did not. So yeah, um, me and a friend went to the beach. Yeah, what day was it? What's today, Thursday? Uh, for you, yeah. Also, that's a lie you don't have friends. So on Monday, uh, me and a friend and her son, we went out to the beach, and she said at the start of the day that a screw got stuck in one of the tires, and by the time we got to the beach, we noticed that the screw had gone, and then we just hung out at the beach for a few hours, and then we went back into the car, and there's a tire pressure gauge in all four tires, and the tire that had the screw in it had one-tenth the pressure of the other tires, we jump out to take a look, and it is the flattest tire. It's all, it's pretty much as flat as Ken and Gerard's tire from Season 3 during their Germany leg. So, yeah, that's the flat tire story. And that was the same day where I got attacked by ducks, where one was pecking the inside of my shorts, which was very invasive. And then a few minutes later, another duck was trying to chew my hair. It did chew my hair, actually. Didn't try. It succeeded. I just love the the image from that status you put up of you just being harassed by ducks. 
I didn't even feed the ducks. It's not like they had an invitation to come onto my blanket. They just came. Story of your life. <laughs> Nothing has invitations to come onto your blanket. It just came. <laughs> I don't need to say anything for that, do I? <laughs> no, I, uh, I kind of set you up for that. So anyways, why is Ivana breathing so heavily in her confessional right before she does the auctioneering task? It's like she's about to pass out. Uh, fun fact, she also had to dive off the, the top of the barn to be able to do the uh, the auctioneering. And Paul knows they are going to be detoured. Oh, no, wait. He meant you turned. He had a polo moment again. I think basically everyone knew they were going to be U-turned, given how much, I'm going to guess, Kevin and Ryan were screaming about U-turning them. Yeah. Bro, bro, we're gonna U-turn them. They're assholes. Give her, give her, give her. So, anyways, uh, Kevin and Ryan open up the clue after the U-turn board, which indicates that soup is on, and we've been waiting for this all season long. We finally get our chunky Campbell soup stacking task. That's in the shape of a maple leaf. Where super fan Alex, who I haven't heard of and nobody else has, is gonna give out the next clue. Who the hell is Alex? He doesn't even listen to this podcast. He's not a super fan. You know, my favourite thing about this is the fact that they're claiming he's a super fan and nobody has heard of him. Like, he is literally just some rando who bought Campbell's Soup and won the competition and they're claiming he's a super fan. He's a super fan. He's the chunkiest super fan we've ever met. And the fact that because he blatantly wasn't expecting to be doing this, he was just constantly looking to the producers off-camera whenever he was approving or rejecting the maple leaves. Is that what a maple leaf looks like, guys? Guys? I know some clue-givers are particularly awkward, but this guy was stupidly awkward. <laughs> it was making me laugh so much purely because of how, like... Obviously, you don't expect him to be that professional at doing it, but because of how unprofessional he actually ended up being. And also, I, I, I like how uh, the kids at the Orange Juice Task had to reassure Kevin and Ryan that somebody likes them by saying that they're his favourite team. There's a kid who said, you're my favourite team. And then Sam Paul said every kid who got Orange Juice said that whoever served him it was their favourite team. And the, I should note the Campbell Soup Task is in our... One, two, third town of this leg? Oh no, fourth town. In the fourth town of this leg, Moose Jaw. Because there's fuck all else in Saskatchewan. I must say, though, that Saskatchewan was the only other city I listed as being a reasonable visit for Amazing Race Canada that they had yet to do. And Moose Jaw is still so small that we only get two route markers here overall. To quote you earlier this season, they're going to the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Our dreams have come true. And Simon Paul constantly apologize. I'm so sorry. When finishing off the conveyor task, I believe. Um, let's see. Corey does really intense jumping uh, during the um, at the end of the auctioneering task. And we're going to see him do a lot of intensive jumping when Ivana finds the Queen Bee, which is somehow not Brittany Blair from um, from Big Brother Canada 3. He's basically channeling his inner House of Pain. <laughs> jump, jump, jump. Oh no, that's Criss Cross. Yeah, it's d- jump around. <laughs> jump around. 
And he doesn't tackle Ivana at all this leg. No tackling and rushing her for 50 yards. Either that or um, or Ivana punched him in the face and told him to knock it off. You think Corey and Ivana have ever been friends with benefits? I'm not sure it's a good idea for us to start commenting on that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fuck it, none of them listened to us this season. I don't know, I've just been thinking about it all season, but it's like, how do I bring this up without... I mean... This is based off of zero evidence. They're certainly implying it. It's not none of our business, but I'm I just I can't help but think about it all throughout the season. Yeah, they're certainly implying that it's happened. It could just be strictly platonic, but I don't know, when you have two champions together, I mean leave it to Coach Wade from Survivor to say that iron sharpens iron. Sparks are about to fly. But yeah, I just want to put that as a question out there. That should be... that That's the race play question I would notice on my screen. Just random, baseless gossip that there's no evidence for at all. Like, do you think Corey and Yvonne have done it? Options, first base, second base, third base, home run. Um, Kevin and Ryan, what's their sperm count? Uh, let's see, Karen and Bert, what dance move are they going to do this episode? Are their kids secretly adopted? Um, Corey Nevada, fuck Mary Kill. <laughs> uh, or Sam and Paul, did he really get into med school, or was it just a really mean joke for when he gets back home? I would have loved it if that Vivo video was like, you got into the med school of your first choice, and then the last five seconds. Oh, by the way, Sam, psych! <laughs> By the way, you're going to have to sell your Chevrolet vehicles to pay for tuition. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Back to this leg. Moose Jaw is the friendly city. Apparently so. Also the boring city. The really boring city. Uh, let's see, this is the point in the episode where Sam and Paul's education wish airs during the commercial break. Um, see, Corinne Ivana finishes each word second, and or, or no... Are they second? They're second, right? Yeah, they're second. They leave Halston second. And they are second to U-turn, and surprisingly, instead of just leaving the U-turn board alone, or just U-turning Karen and Bert to ensure a team is eliminated, they're going to try and take down the big guns. They're going after Adam and Andrea. I get why they did it, because obviously Adam and Andrea are going to be the biggest threats against Sam and Paul. But it's still a shitty move. Corey and Ivana lose a few points here, although when Kevin and Ryan are first to the U-turn, there's going to be some collateral damage no matter what you do. Yeah, the tactic, though, probably should have been block off the U-turn. As it happened, it probably wouldn't have changed the result of the leg, but also it would have at least given Sam and Paul a bit more of a story of overcoming the adversity, for example. Right. By you turning Adam and Andrea, you're going to make me hate this episode automatically. And unfortunately, because Corey and Yvonne are second to the U-turn board and use their U-turn, Simon Paul cannot protect Adam and Andrea by U-turning Karen and Bert, because they're the only real alliance that was in this season. Yay! And then Adam grunts when he gets to the U-turn board. It's a natural reaction to go into the Dog River Hotel, isn't it? Just going, ugh. Yeah. Why? <laughs> um... Let's see, Karen and Bert are done the detour in last, and then they, before they even have a chance to pull out of the detour, 
Both Simon Paul and Adam Andrea are coming back. And because every task was quick, Karen and Bert will have a significant advantage over those two teams. Did they forget something? It's like, no, no, they didn't. <laughs> Remember, U-turn board? Two teams aren't going to get lost and both come back. <laughs> it's just Karen has another funny reaction to when she starts screaming when she catches on to what happened. Oh my god. <laughs> Also, while I remember, um, congratulations to both Kelsey and Joey and Mike and Rochelle on their respective weddings over the past week, and, well, Mike and Rochelle's tomorrow, but congratulations to both teams, both friends of the podcast. Yeah, good on you guys. You're doing better than Lolly's Amazing Scanner teams this year. We're proud of you both. Yes. Corey Vanna get lost in Moose Jaw. How? They can't just win the international taxis anymore, because Corey Vanna didn't have not done well with self-drive really this season either. When taxis and self-driving are not working to your advantage, that's why you're going to be finishing in second to last place a lot throughout the year. Yeah, how is that even possible? You take a right instead of a left, and then there's just no more roads after that. You just have to pull over onto the side of the highway and then turn around to go back. Because next week they do go for the record of the single highest number of second to last places. Internationally? Yeah. Which is? Which will be six. And that that will be the record or tie the record? It's a little bit of a grey area because at the moment they have the equal record with a team from Amazing Race Australia 2 who get saved by a salvage pass and then have five consecutive, I think it is. Oh, I see. Yeah, so they have... It's four seconds last places and then a salvage pass save as well. Whereas Corey and Nirvana have five seconds last places. So they do have the record if that's what we go with? Yeah, depends on how you categorise the record. That's actually pretty impressive, the record to get after all these years. Actually, Corey and Nirvana have six, so they already have the record. Oh, they do have six in a row. Well, not in a row, because they they had one in like two as well. Oh, okay. But in a row they already have the record? Yeah. What if they just do it the rest of the season? That would be pretty much an impossible record to break. It really would. Because then they will only have, what, three legs that... They weren't second to last in. <laughs> Something like that. Impressive. Um, man, the soup task. This is in Crescent Park. Was that what it was called? Yeah, it was Crescent Park. So, let's see. Kevin and Ryan eventually get the task done, and they have to go to Grandpa's Garden, which is the home to Anita and Arthur's beekeeping farm. No, they have to search Grandpa's Garden for their next clue. Yeah. They have to really just... Search Grandpa's garden just in case, and they don't even see Sam and Paul. And they and, and at Grandpa's garden, they do not find any horses. And Andrea wants everyone to be nice to her, but of course, Corey and Ivana do not follow through with that. Um, she wants everyone to be nice to her at the auctioneering task because she is a city girl, and they were nice enough to her because this task was so simple that nobody needed more more than two attempts to get it done. Seriously, this detail was weak. It was a really, it's probably the weakest detour I think I've seen. Anybody out there, feel free to challenge us on a weaker detour. There wasn't even one strong side to it. That's the thing. No. Usually when there's a weak side of a detour, you can, you can kind of ignore it because there's a good side on the other side. This time they were both crap. And I love how two weeks on the trot now we've just had sort of Monty Memorial detours where we're just doing stuff that Monty loves to do now, like beer and auctioneering. (laughs) <laughs> gotta keep them happy somehow gotta convince them to come back for season 6 arguably Monty's was selling cars I think rather than horses but still <laughs> I seem to remember that he sold cars 
Hopefully they were sedans and hatchbacks. No, he gave people a choice of a sedan or a hatchback. Their own detour. Um, so Corey and Ivana find the soup stacking task in third. The kids call it souping, as they say in Saturday Night Live. And they want to smash it. In fact, they do smash the pile of chunk of chunky soup several times as they fail quite a bit with the one upside down can that sits in the middle of their 250 can stack. You know the best thing about, or the one good thing about this uh, this task is the fact that for some reason teams didn't even reuse the cans that fell over. They just got new pallets and used them. That's how cheap Campbell soup is. It was very visible that both Corey Nevada and Adam and Andrea were using like new stacks of cans from Costco or something. It's <laughs> like I hope you actually did something with with that that soup that you just chucked all over the floor. Alex gets to take it home, I think. Free meals for him. Meals for life from Petro Canada. Oh, the chunky soup you can eat, Alex. Eat it. Eat it. He had to go through his his own challenge where he had to eat all of the uh, cans that were on the ground. It's the one hundred Canada 150 kilogram challenge. Could you imagine having to eat that much soup? You have to eat the entire confection. The entire confection. See you at lunch. Matilda. And Adam and Andrea finish the tour in last. Kevin and Ryan are back Jack, even though they'll be back behind Sam and Paul Jack. Get to the roadblock. Ken wants to be the queen, where teams have to search through 20,000 bees for the queen. And Ryan works on his tan in Saskatchewan. Yep, and in a crowning moment of awesome, Karen actually does predict what the roadblock is going to be. Yes, she does. I was very impressed with that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if B was spelled B-E-E in the clue. Don't think it was. Oh, they didn't make it that obvious? No. Because I think even Kevin and Ryan probably would have worked it out if they did. <laughs> um, it's viewed as a major needle in the haystack. Karen and Bert finish soup stacking in second. They might get the podium this episode. And then Ivana's cup's tip once again. Karen and Bert want to win this leg. Because for some reason, at both U-turns, four out of six teams were implicated in the first U-turn. And then four out of five teams implicated in the second U-turn. And Karen and Bert dodged both of them. I like the fact that the roadblock allowed Adam and Andrea to have a chance at catching up, but it, it's a classic Amazing Race Canada boring needle in a haystack task. It wasn't meant to be. Sadly not. Um, even with how many stacks of soup Corey and Ivana collapsed, you get a sense of just how far behind Adam and Andrea were. Because every team was gone except for Ivana, I think, by the time they showed up to the roadblock. Because they also screwed up at the, uh, the soup task too, where Adam messes up the Leaning Tower of Pisa, or pea soup. Yeah, I think Adam was understandably a bit pissed off at the situation, given that the obvious tactic would have been to U-turn Karen and Bert to guarantee yourselves a spot in the Final Four. An extremely obvious tactic, but unfortunately, that's just not the way this played out. Corey and Nirvana don't play to those rules. No, they don't play by anybody's rules. Not even to Body Break's rules. Um, oh yeah, when Bert is at the roadblock... He starts singing and laughing at his own bee-related puns. The problem is, because we've had tasks like this before, we've heard all the bee puns already. I'm just over this season. <laughs> and Sam is the queen for Sam and Paul. Um, apparently this is a really cool task. Ivana is the queen big time. Sam finishes the roadblock in first, and then they have to find the home of the snowbirds, which is 
world famous, I've, even though I've never heard of them. And Ryan is bummed out that Sam left in first. And eventually Kevin and Ryan are done in second. I believe Kevin said get in her um, as another giver sequel. Sam and Paul win their fourth leg of the season. And they win a trip to Costa Rica. They've managed to dodge every single lame trip so far this season. Can we just take a moment to to just revel in uh, Kevin and Ryan's bitter, bitter reaction to not winning the leg? Yes. <sighs> I know you don't think Sam and Paul win, but I do. And it was just delightful to see Kevin and Ryan be foiled again in a leg that actually they were leading for most of. <laughs> They just didn't give her enough. They needed a little bit more heart to just give her. <laughs> Which was the greatest payback of all, as Sam and Paul would say. And Kevin and Ryan finished this leg in second again. And then Andrea has to pep talk Adam into finishing the soup task. And then eventually Andrea is the queen. Bert's a believer. Could that be her? I mean, be such a common word that the puns aren't even that creative which is one of those disappointing moments for Karen and Bert. And when Bert is done, Karen apparently knows the location of the snowbirds already because it's because Moose Jaw is that small. No one has heard of the snowbirds. <laughs> so she must have just seen it on the map earlier that day while they were driving around. The quote-unquote world-famous snowbirds are actually known as the Red Arrows worldwide. Or that's what they're based on at least. Because the Red Arrows are the famous one. No one has ever heard of the Snowbirds. Um, Corey says, this'll be fun, and then his smirk fades away. Waiting to see if Yvonne is going to beat Andrea or not at the roadblock. In third place is Karen and Bert. We did so good. We did so good. I I guess that's good, because this is the first time they've been on on the podium after nine rounds of play, which has got to be close to the record. Yeah, that's all. also incredibly impressive. Given that actually their average isn't terrible, it's just nothing to write home about. <laughs> Andrea said all bees look the same, which is kind of offensive. Not all bees. Um, Ivana finds the right bee, and Corey starts doing his jumping and karate kicks. Also, it isn't a record. They would have the record had they got fourth, or they would have equaled the record had they got fourth this week. And then got eliminated next week. But um, one team did manage ten legs without reaching the podium. Sharing Cole? Uh, no. Josh and Brent? You've, you've not seen them yet. So, yeah, you'll get there. Okay. But there's a team that didn't reach the podium for ten legs. <laughs> and then Adam and Andrea finished the roadblock in last. And they hope that Corey and Ivana go to the wrong province. Much like how French-born... Aurelia and Singaporean Sophie were happy that uh, Brett and Kinyar Yoshi went to all the way to uh, Australia instead of New Zealand in Amazing Race Asia 2 to save them. And, Cor- and Ivana, this is another painful one for this season. What's a hanger? It's a type of stand. Everyone knows that. Of course. They finish in fourth, and Adam and Andrea are gonzo with a fairly long tribute. Really long tribute at the end of the episode, and Monty applauds their smile, and yeah, we already serenaded Adam and Andrea at the start of this episode, but a bit of a loss this season when you consider that their elimination episode was dominated, absolutely dominated by Kevin and Ryan, 
and also some of the lamest tasks we've ever seen in the show's history, or international history for that matter. I think, despite the crap that I give production for the terrible focus on uh, on Kevin and Ryan this week, I think they were actually quite disappointed that Adam and Andrea went out, because I think they quite liked them, which shows slightly good taste. But, oh my days, I, I just don't want to have a season where we have Adam and Andrea going out and Kevin and Ryan getting all the focus, making it look like they might win. Ugh. And to cheer us up, we're getting another Ontario leg next week. Because Sudbury, Hamilton, and Kingston weren't enough. Right, watching that preview makes it look like literally everything we hate. Yeah, we're getting a curling switchback at the face-off. We're getting random animals. We have a pointless double battle. We have an animal that is obviously going to be completely irrelevant to everything ever. And we also have what looks like a Fear Factor-inspired roadblock. Ludacris will be there, because production couldn't afford Joe Rogan. Seriously, though. I mean, it's blatantly obvious that this is the roadblock where it's like, these people must do this roadblock. But I can't even work out what the point of it is. Because the people who are in the boxes are the ones who are forced to do the roadblock, I think. They're the ones who didn't do the robot this week. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a picture of one of the partners with what looks like an info sheet of the bugs, but I can't work out what the actual point of the roadblock is. I don't know what the point of the season is. Yeah. And it, it sets a bad precedent, because this has a very similar vibe to that blindfolded flower roadblock from the Final Four leg last year, where it's the partners helping them out to try and win on it on the penultimate roadblock of the season. And I don't like that precedent. No. So, my prediction for next week, Sam Paul, Kevin and Ryan are probably going to be in the top two, and Karen and Bert go home? Do you want me to mention the probable spoiler from the press pitches? That's the question. Now that I've locked in, no, actually don't, because i got to still officially post it. I won't mention it then. But let's just say that the team who I'm pretty sure go home at fourth do not feature in any of the press pitches. And once you post your preview, I'll tell you who it is. Okay. Sounds like a deal. Deal, deal, deal. Deal? Deal, guys. Deal. But yeah. I should write an article about how terrible this season has been. You should write another article about how terrible this season has been. I'm going to get Gordon Wayne to do the same. And just get everybody to write about how awful this season has been. And just maybe, just maybe we'll get a better season next year. In two weeks' time, we're going to be just not talking about the finale at all, and we're going to talk about how terrible this season has been, so strap in, guys. Yes. I'm going to entitle it, Amazing Race Canada was supposed to be good and fun. Anything else you need to get off your chest before we end for the week? Nope. Okay. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can follow me at LogSuperKuwaki, and you can follow Michael at MJ Harmstone. Peace out, and just chill till the next episode. Only two more weeks left, and then we don't have to think about this shit show ever again. Indeed!